time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. One of the things that keeps recurring to me is the importance of fear in our lives. Really, how fear gets in our way is the bigger issue, because fear is the backdrop. There are lots of books about how to eliminate fear from your life, and I've got to be honest, as I talk about in my books, I don't believe it's possible to eliminate fear, but you can change how you orient to fear. I think the issue is not fear itself. After all, fear serves a purpose in our lives. It's how we orient ourselves towards the fear. You see, fear is, has its biological roots. In fact, it's really a survival strategy for us because most of the time, the most cautious are going to be the most likely to survive. So let's go back many millennia when our ancestors were really on the verge of, of attacks and dangers all the time. Not just you know, a slight possibility, but a real possibility that some other group would invade or somebody might turn against them or a wild animal might come against them because the protections were less there. So over time, genetic choices come down to who survives. Your ancestors survived all of those risks to pass on their genes, which meant they probably were more cautious than the others around them that ended up being dinner or lost to warfare. And so we have within us this oversensitivity to fear that I've talked about. That's why I don't think it can go away. It's deeply rooted in the deepest part of our brain to look for the dangers and threats around us. The problem is not that fear is around us. The fear is how we orient it towards that fear. Because when we talk about survival, fear is very helpful. And you've got to survive, as I talked about several episodes back, you've got to survive in order to get to the next level, which is living. So surviving, then living, then thriving. And th thriving has to happen after you're surviving. You can't do it until then. But here's where it's a problem. The thriving problem with fear is that fear can often feel like survival. Have you ever had that moment when you're just, you're overridden with fear and, and maybe it's not even a real situation, but you can imagine all the horrible things that could happen so much so that your body goes into alert? I've told this story before, but I think it's worth repeating. When I was in my early teens, I was probably 13 years old, I had a job which was to go to the church where my father was the pastor and make sure it was all locked up at night. They wanted to make sure all the lights were off and all the doors were locked. And I don't know who designed that building, but they did not have my mission in mind. They had switches on one end of the hall that would turn off the lights, but not at the other end of the hall. So I couldn't go down a lit hall many times. If I was going to go through the whole building, there were some halls that would have the light switches near each other. And at the other end, I couldn't turn them off. So I would have to have darkened halls to get on through. So I would start in a darkened building. And I don't know if you've ever walked in a huge, sprawling, dark building, but they're noisy, very noisy with pipes squeaking and creaks and groans and all the, these sounds that come from the building, none of which you could distinguish from the dangerous footsteps behind you. The squeaks and the growls sounded a whole lot like somebody following me many times. And not only that, but since 
I was there by myself in hollow hallways, the echoes would also sound like maybe somebody was around me. So as I'm walking through the building, I remember over and over the sensation of my feet wanting to run. I could feel it all the way down in my feet that my feet wanted it to, to take off, to take me to safety. But that was the thing. There was no real risk at that moment. Now, you could say, well, there could have been. Yes, there could have been. But night after night, night after night, night after night, there was no real risk. It was my imagination that was making me think that my survival was at risk. And that's the problem. Our fears often put us into survival mode. Fight, flight, or freeze is often how we respond when the fear overtakes us. We want to flee like I did. Or we want to take on somebody or something in a fight. Or we do like some animals do and try to freeze so that nobody notices us. And by the way... It's not that we choose one of those. As humans, we do all three of those. There are times when the same person might flee a scene, take on a fight, or just stand there not knowing what to do. That's the process of fear in our life. It grabs us and holds us and makes us feel that there's survival at risk. Now, let's also be very clear that we're talking about the difference between fear and a fearful situation. There's nothing you can do to shut down fear when there's true risk, when somebody is truly threatening you. And I wouldn't want to do that because your body needs to be surviving. Your body needs to be reacting to the situations. If I'm running down the path, as I often do, and I see something squiggly on the side, my fear response needs to have me stop at a safe distance to make sure it's okay to proceed. The fear that overtakes me at that moment quickly dissipates when I realize it was just a twig, but the fear doubles up if that twig starts moving. And so the process of being fearful is partly in deciding whether it's needed or not. It's an important skill we take on in life. Did I really need to be fearful in that situation? Or maybe the fear is telling me something else. Because not only does fear tell us about what's a survival incident, it also tells us what's an important incident. Those important moments in, life, in our lives can bring in real fear. If you've ever done any public speaking, you probably have had that moment. And here's the interesting thing about that. Lots of people rank speaking in public as their number one fear, higher than dying and higher than lots of other fears that you would think would be the bigger ones. But standing there in front of people seems to be a fearful place for people. And yet, as far as we know, as far as I could tell from any records, nobody's ever died from speaking in public, right? It's the perception of how people would perceive us, right? We're thinking about what are they thinking about us. That speech may be important, though. What if that speech is what allows you to pass a class or get a promotion or you know, present something important to the world? then you might actually realize that even though the fear is there, you step beyond it. You know, if somebody said, hey, you've got to do this speech in order to get this check for a million dollars, my guess is your response wouldn't be, yeah, I didn't do that speech because I was afraid. You'd find your way through it because it became important enough to move through it. So the real question is, is it a fearful situation, really, a dangerous situation, or is it just the fear that's percolating around? 
Over the years, I've had many conversations with many clients who had agreed one week to do something and the next week have to tell me why they didn't do it. That's part of the coaching job. It's part of the therapist's job to take on something. Maybe I ask them to write a letter or to apply for a situation or to, to approach somebody or to have a conversation or to do something that would change where they were to get them to a new outcome. And as you could predict, the next week, many would say, yeah, I didn't do that. So my first question is, well, what kept you from doing that? What was it that held you back? Too many times I've heard the reason given, because I was afraid. Because I was afraid. And I usually have to challenge that with the fact that that's simply a, a state. It's not a reason. I don't accept the reason I didn't do something because I was afraid as a legitimate reason not to do it. It's just background noise telling you that there's something going on for you. There's some reason you're having that fear response. It may be that you would tell me because I was afraid because there was somebody who was threatening me. That would be a different situation because then the reason is not the fear, it's the threat. But what if it's just that there's fear floating around? Why is it that that fear gets us stuck? Well, today I want to talk about three reasons why fear can get us stuck and keep us stuck. Not just get us stuck, but keep us stuck. So the first reason that fear can keep us stuck is because fear can cause us to look for safety. Fear can cause us to look for safety because we equate safety with survival. The problem is survival and thriving are not on the same page. Surviving, basic skill. Thriving, moving beyond that. Finding a bigger life. Finding your purpose. Taking on the challenges. The problem is the fear response in our body often calls us to retreat to safety. I've talked to many people who would try something new. It scared them a little bit, and they ended up back on the couch watching, binge-watching something on Netflix, right? They retreated to some safe space. I've watched people retreat to safe, safe relationships, even though the relationship they really wanted was just out there. I've had people retreat to safe jobs, even though their dream job was on the horizon, because they felt fear. And when we feel fear, if we don't watch it, we'll retreat to safety. I'll talk about how we get around that in just a minute, but understand that one way that fear keeps us stuck is because it causes us to seek safety, to look for safety, to find some way of feeling safe again. Fear can cause that unless you understand it. The second way that fear can keep us stuck is because it can keep us from dreaming. When you are fixated on fear, you can't see a bigger picture. It narrows our focus. Many people in dangerous situations talk about their tunnel vision. I used to uh, be in difficult situations every now and then and would realize that my focus was straight ahead on that one piece. I remember it distinctly when I was attacked on the street and everything else left except for that person attacking me. My whole field of vision was reduced to one person in my way. And that happens to us whenever we have fear around us. Our vision begins to get more narrow. 
we have a harder time thinking of what's possible because we're afraid of that one possibility, that one danger. Tunnel perspective gets us to go back to the same old, same old. Because when we dream, it has in itself a fear. I believe that we humans have at our core piece a basic set of fears. And they are mirror images of our basic uh, aspirations. So our fears and our aspirations exist in our, our core place, our deepest place. And it's a mirror image. In fact, I've tested this because I've had people in different settings write down what they most dream about, what they most want in life. And then I ask them what they most fear in life. And it's almost always close to a pivot, almost a mirror image of what they most want. They most want money in life. What do they most fear? Being broke and having nothing. People have told me that what they most want in their life is a rewarding, loving relationship. What do they most fear? Having a disconnected, unloving relationship. So our fears always have a matching aspiration. When we are caught up in the fears, we lose track of the aspirational part, which always broadens our horizon. And we allow the fear to dim our horizons, to narrow our field of vision down to the same on thing. Because here's the thing. Our dreams, our biggest hopes, our biggest aspirations, they're just on the other side of fear. We have to go through, through fear to get there, but it doesn't feel like that. So if we allow fear to speak to us, it narrows our vision until we are out of touch with our dreams. The third way that fear can keep us stuck is it can keep you focused on who you are right now, not who you can be. Who we choose to be at any point is who we choose to be. We just forget that. We exist on a place of connecting more with where we've been. You know, when I ask people to tell me about themselves, they almost immediately start giving me their autobiography of history. When I ask the question, who do you want to become? They often can't picture what that is because they have attached themselves to the past in some ways to the present, just because their past is representing them in the present. But there's always somewhere we can go. We can choose to be a different person. Have you ever gone to a different school or a different job, and, and before you got there, you realized that this was your chance to be whoever you want to be? You could change your demeanor. You can change your interactions. You could even change your name if you wanted to. You can change your clothing. You could be who you wanted to be at the beginning point. Why? Because nobody tied you to a history and you had the option of releasing that history. You could choose who you wanted to be at that moment. I talked with people who got uh, to some different school or different job who completely changed who they were, and they used it as an opportunity for growth. Moved to a new city, took a new school, took a new position, started a new relationship, and they got a restart. Part of that restart was stepping away from who they've been. And fear often keeps us thinking about where we've been. How many times have you said to yourself, I can't do that because, and you name something in your past that would prevent you from doing that. I know it for myself. I live that. And I grew up never thinking I was very athletic. I had some people who reminded me of that along the way. I never was very good on teams. And so I always perceived myself as not being athletic. And I still struggle with that, even though I now 
have run a marathon on the trails. I've done adventure racing uh, for even up to 36 hours. Uh, I've done, gone scuba diving lots of different places. I uh, paddleboard on a regular basis. I've surfed. I'm doing jujitsu at this time. There are lots of things that are uh, in the realm of athleticism. And yet, for a long time, I said, I can't do that. In fact, when I look back, that's one of the things that got in my way when I got through grad school. Now, grad school always puts a few pounds on people because you're busy with you know, studies and writing and all that kind of thing. But after that, I didn't change it. I allowed myself to get more and more out of shape eating things that were less and less good for me because I just kept going, well, I'm just not an active person. I'm not an athlete. Then when I got sick, that was my reset. I realized that I had allowed my fears that somebody might say, oh, you can't do that, to determine what I could or couldn't try. Now, even in, in those years, I did some things. You know, I played racquetball and did some other things, but I never thought of myself as an athlete. Just never felt like I was capable of that. And so I allowed myself to be captured by those thoughts rather than who I could be. But after I was sick... When I was recovering, I realized that I had to take my physical life, my physical body differently. And as part of that, I realized that I could decide who I wanted to be going forward with my body. I could exercise if I wanted to. And so I started exercising. And after exercising, I started swimming, took scuba diving. After I realized I did that, I took up biking, did some mountain biking and realized I was okay at that. And then I put it all together and started doing some uh, racing and, and added on from there. And along the way, one day I realized that while I was saying I was not athletic, tied to my old past, I was doing lots of athletic things. Now, do I consider myself to be an athlete now? Not really. An active person? Absolutely. Doing athletic things? Absolutely. Because I now realize I can keep trying them. And I don't even have to be good at it. It's one of the things I realized when I was going to jujitsu is I was not going to be good at that. But that's okay. I could become a person who was better at that. And this is true not just with athletic things. It's true anywhere in life. We can choose who we're going to be at any moment unless we allow fear to pull us back to where we were, to who we've been. We can always choose to move to somewhere new. When we do that, we're beginning to defeat fear's hold on us. Not get rid of fear, but keep it from holding us back, keeping it from getting us stuck. So now the truth about fear. Fear is doing one thing for you. It is telling you that something is important. It's telling you to be alert, to pay attention. The problem is we allow fear to be an avoidance indicator. We need to avoid that situation. That's why people would say, well, I didn't do it because I was fearful. They believe that they should avoid it because there's some risk to it. And so fear has been used by many people as an avoidance indicator. Stay away from that. If it starts to make you feel fearful, move away from it. All we have to do in order to get unstuck with our fear is to allow it to be an importance indicator. Sometimes it's important enough that something is at risk. Somebody or something is a risky situation for us and we need to be on alert. We need to be paying attention and on alert so that we do not get ourselves into danger. So it's important 
for our fear to remind us about that, but not important for the fear to keep us away from things. Fear is an importance indicator. It simply tells you something is important. Then you can use fear as a way of navigating toward things. For instance, those dreams, those aspirations, fear is telling you to pay attention. Let's say that you go to a job interview and you have fear involved. It might be telling you that that is a big job for you. It's something that you really want and therefore it's important. Or maybe you meet somebody and you you have the butterflies because that person is important. There's something important there. Or maybe an opportunity comes your way and you, you would naturally avoid it because it makes you fearful, but instead you say, wow, this must just be important. Maybe I need to judge whether there's a threat or whether it's something in my dreams, something in my aspirations. When we allow fear to just be an important indicator, an importance indicator telling us this needs our attention, we transform it from something that keeps us stuck to something that shows us the way to get through the scary places and to the things we most want. I hope this has been helpful for you because our task here is to help you build a thriving life. That's been my task for decades now. Because of that, I've written a couple of books. Last year, Thrive Principles came out. Thrive Principles are 15 strategies for you building your thriving life. If that would be helpful for you, I'd love you to check it out at thethriveprinciples.com. The most recent one to come out is The Immutable Laws of Living, where I talk about the fact that we all have fears, but that's okay. We have to move beyond them. The Immutable Laws of Living give you the natural laws, 16 laws that surround you all of the time that you may be breaking without knowing them that can also keep you stuck. If you're interested in that, the easiest way to find out about that is to go INeedThatBook.com, INeedThatBook.com. Then you can find out more about that book. Now, one thing about this, I've been doing these uh, Thrivology podcasts now for a number of years. We're up in the 200s of episodes. I provide them completely free because I want to help you build a thriving life. If it's been helpful, one way to show a little support is to grab one of the books. The reason is because you getting a book helps others find out about it. In fact, one way to really help is to share this, to tell others about it, to share this podcast with others and share the book with others so they can learn to thrive. My task here is to help you thrive. And what that takes is for us to partner together to do that. I wish you the best as you build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.